This is Talk of the Town on Magic 590, also heard on 100.5. I'm Bob Cudmore. Joining us is Chris Churchill, news columnist for the Albany Times Union. I'd like to start off talking about marijuana. Okay. (laughs) I saw the column you did. I mean, it's really astounding, isn't it, the way things are changing with the public or legal aspect of marijuana, that the district attorney of Albany County is kind of going on a listening tour. That's right. Yeah, he's going to travel around the county trying to solicit opinion on on how he should handle these kind of low-level marijuana cases. That would be David Soares, the the DA. I mean, mean, New York State has legalized medical marijuana, right? Right, that's right. But not recreational marijuana. Pot. Not recreational, although there, you know, there has there has been a push to kind of well, in New York City. There, they've they've uh, the mayor has announced that he's no longer going to prosecute low level marijuana, or they're no longer going to arrest people for low level marijuana possession and, and things like that. And of course, many of the states around New York have legalized Vermont, Massachusetts, I think Connecticut. So the pressure is is kind of on. Here in Albany, and and also for David Soares, so. but it's unlikely it'll pass this year. Do you think? Or? I don't know. There's there seems to be a lot of interest in doing it, and a lot of almost pressure to do it. But it also seems like one of those things you shouldn't rush into. You know, you it's not it's not one of those things you want to do in a last minute scramble. You want to do right. it thoughtfully. Yeah. And um, so I don't know, but they they do seem very interested in getting it done. I think I think some of the more progressives in the legislature feel a little bit embarrassed that New York is is kind of so far behind so many other states on this. Mm. And there are other issues uh, involved with this. Or One issue I think you addressed is um, maybe middle class, upper middle class folks, you know, they have many of them enjoy marijuana. They smoke marijuana now. But, you know, for people of lower income and minorities, it's, it's a different kind of thing. Well, almost all the arrests for low, low amounts of pot possession our minority that members are point. black. No, yeah, no, yeah. I'd forgotten that. And yeah. I mean, there are different reasons for that. I mean, uh, it used to be because of stop and frisk and policies like that, where they were so many young black men are getting searched that they would find find the pot and arrest them for it. And you know, it doesn't happen to older middle class people for the most part. But it's also you know the the as what David Soros called the war on pot is kind of waged in poor poor neighborhoods for the most part. Where the underground economy kind of flourishes, and that that's partly responsible for the arrest disparity too. Um, but it is blatantly unfair that you know one set of people get get charged fairly routinely for a crime that another set of people don't get charged for, even though the usage rates seem to be about equal. Mm. And and selling marijuana um, is a source of income for a number of right people. Right, and what'll what will they do to replace that income? Well, that's an, that's an open question, yeah. yeah. I mean, David Soares is worried that if they're not selling marijuana, maybe they start selling a more dangerous drug. Right. Or, you know. On the other, on the flip side, though, according to the police chief, who I, I've talked to uh, subsequently to that column, um, the marijuana trade is a big source of the violence in Albany. Mm. So you know, maybe legalization kind of takes some of that away. Who who knows? It's 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 all a little hard to predict. Yeah, it's such a change for you know, law enforcement, and also, I mean, right. after all these years of the is the war on pot or the war on drugs, and what do we hear from places like um, 
Colorado, and, and let's say, that has had some experience with this now. Let, let me bring up the, the one anecdotal piece that I received. I know a man who's a, you know, a salesman, and, and he travels the country, and he said he thought it was, wasn't good when he went out to yeah. Colorado. You know, that, yeah, you hear, Mick, you hear d- different opinions from different people. You know, it's... It doesn't seem, in some ways, it doesn't seem to have been as dramatic a change as maybe people thought. I mean, I think one of the things that David Soares was pointing out, he had a press conference on this last week, is that um, marijuana arrests will continue to occur even when it's legal, just the way people continue to get arrested for things involving alcohol, you know, mm-hmm. DUI or open containers in, in public. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it just because... Just because marijuana becomes legal doesn't mean it's going to be a free-for-all where you can smoke it wherever you want, you know. Meanwhile, on the, the smoking front in terms of cigarettes, um, last I knew the, the Albany County Legislature had passed uh, a, a proposal to ban cigarette sales in pharmacies and stores with pharmacies, but mm-hmm. the uh, county executive hadn't, uh, he hadn't signed hasn't it. Signed I don't it. believe he has to this date, although they have a veto-proof majority anyway. So. Oh, they do? Yeah, so it, it's likely that even if he vetoed it, they would just override it. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, there's, a, there's an irony there for sure that on the one hand it's becoming easier and easier to, to buy and smoke or more and more legal to buy and smoke pot. On the other hand, this crackdown on cigarettes continues. Um, you know that I, that that measure by the the legislature is significant. I mean, and, uh, there will no longer be cigarettes in Price Chopper and Hannaford and Walmart and all those kind of big retail places where a lot of people go to buy those things. Mm. You know, I, I joked that they should call it the More Business for Stewarts Act because it'll force smokers to go to <laughs> Stewarts or you know smaller okay. convenience well, stores. Well, yeah. uh, there's there's certainly a point to that. Yeah. Um, another um, column you did uh, this past week. Uh, in response to a, a milestone anniversary, if you will, something again we, we're reliving 1968 to some extent because yeah. that was a uh, that year was 50 years ago now, and all kinds of things happened that year. Yeah, and this past week was the assassination of of Robert Kennedy, uh, who was running for president at the time when he was uh, killed uh, walking through the or being escorted through a big crowd in the kitchen of a hotel in Los Angeles. Well, anyway, uh, what did what did you find about the anniversary or about uh, RFK? Well, one of the things that's interesting is we, you know, we hear so much that we live in this divided political time and that, you know, there's so much hostility between conservatives and liberals and that it's, everybody's angry all the time. It's kind of helpful to look back at 1968 and realize that, you know, things could be a lot worse. We right. haven't seen the kind of, you know, assassinations and violence that, that happened then or the uh, mm-hmm. the riding on the streets. And I mean, in a, in a lot of ways, we've come a long way. Um, but for Kennedy, I looked a little bit more at 1964, which obviously you know, his run for president uh, wouldn't, in 1968, would not have happened had he not run for Senate here in New York in 1964. And uh, I looked at his visit to the Capitol region, which was, if you go back and read the old clips, was Pretty remarkable. Mm. Well, you interviewed a, a woman who ran up to him and gave him a kiss. Yeah, she was 15 at the time. Yeah, <laughs> she was 15. And if you read, this was at the you know Capitol Park, just out, just out, just uh, to the east of the Capitol. And if you read the newspaper account, it was just an absolute mob scene. It sounded like the Beatles were there, you know, <laughs> screaming teenagers, and you know he was literally. Uh, People thought he was he was in danger. He was being grabbed, mm-hmm. right, and, and right. people were you know. And she ran up to him, gave him a big hug and a kiss, and uh, 
She still remembers it. It's, it's still one of her better memories. <laughs> well, I, I, I do a history column for the Daily Gazette about Amsterdam, primarily my hometown. And when he came to Amsterdam in 64, um, he had a crowd. And, and there was what a, the newspaper account said was a juvenile outburst oh, yeah? in, the, in the crowd. Yeah. And Kennedy responded to that saying, uh, Senator Keating, who was his opponent, uh, doesn't like the, when, when we do things like that. So please don't do that again, although I don't mind. Yeah. I wonder what it was. Uh, yeah. I, I think they just yelled out. I, I don't know, honestly. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. They just yelled out. And I, I had seen something, some reference to that, that Keating was you know, complaining about Kennedy's young followers. Well, maybe like the woman in Albany who kissed him. And yeah. And, and I mean, it was more than that, too. But the... The young, I mean, there was a, part of it. I think was just an outpouring of continued grief over his brother's assassination. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, the fact that, you know, he, when he he drove into Albany, he drove down Central Avenue, that it was lined with thousands of people who came out to see him go by. I mean, it's it's hard to imagine any politician who would generate that kind of um, that kind of response today. Yeah, I mean, we were everybody was very impressed with Trump's rallies and the big crowds that he got, but I I don't remember anybody lining the roadways to to wave to him as he went by and that sort of thing. And, and of course, what's frozen in time is he was, he's all potential. You know, he could, right. have, it could have been wonderful if he was elected president or, or not, right. but we just don't know. Right. A lot of the divisive issues that, that keep us angry today, we never really had to face. I mean, what would, he have, what would his position have been on Roe versus Wade? You know, we have no idea. I mean, we can assume he probably would have done what most Democrats did, but he was also a devout, yeah, devoutly Catholic. Catholic, so who who knows? But either way, he had gone on that issue, he would have lost some support, right? So it's mm-hmm. it's easy to keep the halo on his head because he never had to face a lot of those things. You did a, a column uh, about uh, a young girl who was killed in Albany uh, a number of years ago, Kathina uh, Thomas. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was well. She was only ten years old when she died. Tell us that story. Yeah, it was it was ten years ago. I, so I was writing for, uh, for the anniversary of that, and um, it was one of those crimes that I think really shook the city and shook the region. I mean, she was a ten-year-old girl who was playing on her front stoop in the West Hill neighborhood, and she was hit by a stray bullet and died. And um, it was one of those moments where I think everybody kind of wondered, like, what what did we become? You know, like mm-hmm. if you if a ten year old girl can't stand out in front of her house and play, then who who are we as a city or as a region? And um, there was a big outpouring for the family, and just uh, it was a shocking crime, you know. And in two thousand eight was a weird year too because there was also the killing of a uh, U Albany college student on the streets of Albany, a kind of a random crime. So it was a year that people really started to feel like. Things were maybe falling apart a little bit in mm-hmm. the city, and um, so yeah, I, I, I for the column, I you know kind of remembered the event and also talked to her uh, her brother and some other people who had kind of been close to the family. And, and I believe her, her brother said he, um, I don't know if he used the word forgiven the the shooter or what was his. Yeah, he said something along the lines of the the shooter was a victim too, you know, and. Um, you know, the shooter who is still in prison and will probably will be for quite some time uh, was not that much older than her. He was 15. And um, so, you know, he was a kid himself, really. You know, it's just, uh, you know, he didn't mean to hit her. It was just kind of a crossfire thing. He mm-hmm. was firing at some other teenagers down the street a little bit, apparently. And 
you know, she was just kind of an accidental, an accidental victim. And we still have murders in, in Albany, but is there any improvement? Yeah, the crime is lower. Crime is certainly lower than it was. I, I mean, I got into that a little bit in the column that, you know, the, the city is a safer place. Most most cities are safer places. Most big cities, smaller cities. I mean, crime is, that's one of the kind of great untold stories of our age, I think, is the reduction in crime rates in so many cities. But on the other hand, I don't think anybody doubts that something similar could happen today. I mean, there are still bullets being fired, and every time mm-hmm. some idiot fires a bullet, some some innocent person or a child could be could be hit by it, right? Mm. Uh, also, on the uh, subject of of crime, uh, the, the shootings that take place in schools and outside concerts and so forth. You did a, a, a column saying that you think that uh, the murderers' names and faces should not be publicized should not be yeah or should be at least be minimized i mean I, I, like i said in that column we know when we have these school shootings it goes against every instinct of the media not to tell you everything they know about the guy who who did the horrible thing but um i there is a lot of evidence to suggest that there's a contagion effect and that one mass shooting leads to another and um you know if you if a news organization does feel the need to to use the person's name maybe just do it in a, a less sensational way i suppose too you know i mean I, I, I a lot of these kids who are just you know i think infamy is something that they that they aspire to and if we're giving it to them or giving them what they want and we're kind of keeping these keeping these it, it's it's not a step that's going to prevent these things from happening i don't think but it could help hmm. but i mean would it work i mean uh he uh, maybe some news outlets would go along with this, but others would see this as an opportunity for a building audience. Yeah, you're right. No, it, it, it's it's a hard proposal to to make in this age because we're not in an age where there's three news networks, and uh, you know, there will always be an on, an online outlet somewhere that will will publish this stuff and will use it to use. You're right to build an audience. On the other hand. I still think there's a thrill that comes for people in this mental state of being on CNN, of being on national TV, mm-hmm. and you know, you know, like becoming almost a household name. And the the more you can prevent that from happening, I think, the better. Also, in uh, police news, if you will, the Tory police are facing more, uh, an issue with the video appearing to show uh, officers uh, beating a. Uh, Someone is being arrested, I believe. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. What's the latest on that? Well, the video hasn't been released, so I, I'm kind of in a weird position of being one of the few people who who well, have seen you, it. Yeah. The, the attorney, the attorney for the for the man has the video, and he hasn't released it publicly. He's holding it back. I think he wants to use it as evidence in the trial, and is worried that the evidence will be contaminated if it becomes public. But um, yeah, it's a it's a very rough arrest. I mean, it's not it's not Rodney King, but it's but you know they they're definitely throwing punches at him and, and slamming his head to the ground while he's down on the ground. Mm. So it's, it's um, you know, the, the Troy police have had a lot of a lot of issues, a lot of lawsuits, a lot of um, civil rights lawsuits over the years, and this will probably be another one, I, I would imagine. What is the uh, emerald necklace of Troy? <laughs> well, it doesn't exist. Okay. <laughs> the emerald necklace would be this trail system. I, it, I don't know how well you know Troy, but it's a neat city in that you have a very dense— um, center 
center and neighborhoods down on the river. And then when you go up the hills, it gets pretty wild pretty quickly. And there are gorges and waterfalls. Mm-hmm. And it's very thickly wooded. And you can be literally five minutes from the city and not even really realize that it's there. Anyway, so there's a, a, a man in the city who would like to build a trail network through that through that mm-hmm. territory. And um, it could be kind of a neat thing. I mean, you could uh, you could imagine somebody, you know, hiking the trails, having lunch, and then hiking back to their car or whatever. And um, the column I wrote was about the city selling a, what he considers a key piece of this network uh, for $1,000, I believe. And it was like a seven-acre parcel of land that they sold for just peanuts, a, a parcel of land valued at something like $114,000. So the city really just gave it away. And this this guy who's been advocating for this network for years was kind of pulling his hair out over this. Mm. Yeah. Um, let me. Uh, here's a good news story that you wrote about Bishop McGinn High School students uh, growing food. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how many people. I mean, if people remember the story of Bishop McGinn, it was once a pretty large high school in the south end of Albany, and then it's kind of had declining enrollment and declining enrollment, and it's moved to a new, smaller location. And um, it seems to be thriving there as a school that kind of welcomes in Albany's really large refugee population, kids who mm-hmm. who are from Burma and other troubled parts of the world who, for one reason or another, struggle at Albany High School, which is kind of a big and intimidating place, I think, especially if you don't mm-hmm. speak the language well. Or And um, so Bishop McGinn has kind of found this new role there, and one of the things that they're doing is is planting a big, huge garden behind the school. And it's funny, a lot of the refugee kids have a lot of food-growing experience. They come from countries where... Family gardens are, uh, you know, a major supply of food. The Amer- the American students tend not to <laughs> to know I as know much. What to do, yeah. yeah, but it's it's cool. They're, they're, I think they're trying to grow a thousand pounds of food, and uh, most of it will go to the food pantry, that, which is next to the, ca- the Catholic cathedral there. Hmm. And they've been doing it this garden for a couple of years. Yeah, so. this is their third or fourth year. They they started in one of the community gardens across the street, and then they moved to this kind of sloping spot behind the school up against the governor's mansion and more and more of it's being converted to garden every year. Well, we're getting close to the end, but let me ask you about the race for governor. Governor Andrew Cuomo, the incumbent, his Democratic challenger, Cynthia Nixon, now Mark Molinaro, the uh, Republican-endorsed candidate or convention candidate. So what do you think? I think it's going to be interesting. I I mean, who knows how well Cynthia Nixon's going to end up doing in the end, but she certainly... She's certainly <laughs> causing a headache for the governor, you know, and um, her criticisms of him are very pointed. And um, and she's able because of she's a bit of a celebrity. She you know, people she's from Sex in the City. She was an actress in Sex in the City. She she is able to get on a lot of news programs and late night television programs that a typical challenger in her position wouldn't be able to to get on. You know, she's really. um mm-hmm. Uh, generating a lot of publicity for her campaign. I think that's driving the governor kind of crazy. You've been listening to Talk of the Town on Magic 590, also heard on 100.5. Our guest, Chris Churchill, Albany Times Union columnist. Read his columns Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays in the Times Union. Next week on Talk of the Town, our guest will be the mayor of Troy, Patrick Madden. This program will be a a podcast soon on albanymagic.com and bobcudmore.com. I'm Bob Cudmore.